Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good afternoon, good morning, good evening, based on wherever you are. Welcome to Supply Chain Now. Scott Luton, Greg White, and Kelly Barner with you here today. Welcome to today's live stream. Gregory, Kelly, how are we doing? I'm doing well. It's good to be back from the holidays. It is good to be back. And, you know, um, so much food, so much family, so many stories, and just a little bit of uh, wine maybe, right, Greg and Kelly? (laughs) Well, only a little bit, and we're going to talk about why that is. That's right. We sure are. On that note, uh, by the way, today is our Supply Chain Buzz, where we share some of the leading stories across global business. So stay tuned. Uh, for a lot of uh, POV and insights that you don't want to miss. And as Greg and Kelly both alluded to, we have a delightful repeat guest as Constantine Limbarakis from Risk Methods will be joining us. Buckle up, get ready, because we want to hear from you too. All right, Greg, I got to tell you, um, when I glanced at your coat, which I like, by the way, I keep thinking it's a members-only jacket, but it's not. You know, you're, you're always cool, but you are about to ratchet it up a little bit. Well, you know, I think members only is due to come back in another couple decades. But I was yeah, going to no, ask, th- are you the last member? <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. Right. Hope not. But, you know, it is. This is a new, this is kind of new. So this, the collar stands up quite a bit. But right. I actually uh, actually won this in a charity golf tournament. So <laughs> I love it. So you won. Uh, not the tournament, just oh, the jacket. Yeah, okay. Right. But but I understand you've been hitting the ball the ball quite uh, quite the distance here lately. We'll tackle that on a golf review live stream, perhaps <laughs> right. in the coming days. The supply chain of golf, <laughs> right? There the is no of shortage golf. of golf balls, thankfully for me. <laughs> well, hey, folks, we have so much to get through here today. Kelly and Greg, are y'all ready to get started? And then we're gonna, of course, say hello to a few folks. Are you ready? Yeah, let's All do right. this. All right. So let me see if I can share my visual here. So, folks. Uh, Today's show is produced in sponsorship with Azul Arc, who built Greg and Kelly, our stunning new website, supplychainnow.com. And they're a leader in user experience design, UX, and Greg, the development of websites and custom software applications within the supply chain industry. So big thanks to Zaheer and the top-notch team over at Azul Arc. You can learn more at Azul Arc, that's uh, A-R-C.com. Greg, Great team over there, right? Yeah, they are. And, and uh, you know, I think we've talked about this a little bit before that I've actually done a little bit of work with them and seen some of the work that they do, not just on websites, but also on tech. And in this day and age where we're transitioning to people who just expect technology to do the work, it's really important that you have a lot of heady technology science behind the scenes, but you don't burden the user with that. And they do a great job of that. Yeah. Stay in your lane, do what you know, and bring in the pros, right? So a lot of great, great, great talent over there at Azul Arc. And one other thing, Kelly and Greg, I want to make sure folks are aware of, and that is our upcoming webinar on December 9th with TransPlace. Now, folks, Greg and Kelly and any of our listeners, you may know that the deal is now official. TransPlace is a big part of the Uber family, right, Greg? That's correct. Yeah, that uh, big news there. I don't know if we were we even knew that that was in the works uh, at the time that we were we scheduled this, but that will be a really really interesting portion of the discussion. Agreed, agreed. All about accelerating innovation through collaboration. And gosh, if recent years haven't taught us, we've got to find new ways to successfully collaborate and innovate together across upstream and downstream uh, the supply chain, your supply chain. So join Michelle McBride, Corinne Burse, and I on December 9th at 12 noon. It's free to register. You can check that out in the show notes. Okay. So with that said, Kelly and Greg and Kelly, I'm bringing you right back in here for a second. Um, When it comes to collaboration and real innovation, not just lip service about brainstorming and and writing ideas on on whiteboards, any, any thoughts or observations you've seen here lately? 
Yes, for me, it's always about not necessarily discovering the newest thing, but it's about taking two ideas and putting them together, right? For anybody that's been around long enough to see Working Girl, that's sort of like my original business inspiration movie, Trask and Radio. And, you know, Transplace and Uber is, is right along those lines. You don't necessarily have to invent a new thing in order to be innovative, but you can take two seemingly disconnected ideas and have a unique insight to bring them together. So uh, that'll be an interesting story to watch. Beautifully said. Beautifully yeah. said. Okay. Let's say hello to a few folks, and then we're going to dive into some of the headlines before we bring on our big featured guest here today, Constantine Lembarakis. Let's see here. Kavan is back with us. I uh, hope this finds you well, Kavan, via LinkedIn. Great to see you here today. Greg, you remember, Kavan is the one that coined, long before anyone else did, the new abnormal. abnormal. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yes, thanks. Thank you for that, Kavan. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Diesel is with us here. Him, uh, big thanks to uh, Amanda and uh, Diesel and the gang behind the scenes helping to make production happen. Uh, pulling Greg for you and Clay, your your Bulldogs, uh, which play Bama uh, uh, in the SEC championship game Saturday, right? Yeah, that's right. I, unfortunately, I'm not going to get to be there, but um, looking forward to it because now we have two dogs in the family. <laughs> My youngest is transferring to Georgia in the spring, so. That is right. Okay. Really quick, bold prediction. Put you on the spot, Greg. Uh, 1713 UGA. Okay. I mean, all right. You heard dogs have a good defense. I think uh, they have a little bit of a mental hurdle to get over with Alabama, but Bama is not the Bama they've been in the past, as evidenced by the fact that Auburn had to literally give them the game to lose it last weekend. <laughs> <laughs> hey, stay tuned for the highlights at 11, folks. Uh, but Greg, I love that. All right, so you heard it there first, 1713 uh, UGA. Okay, Peter Bolle, all night and all day, is with us. Hey, Peter. Peter, really enjoyed some of your Thanksgiving perspective. Yeah. Good Monday morning. Hope you all had great Thanksgiving, he says. Now, uh, putting you on the spot, Kelly, you shared on our Supply Chain Chow channel, which, folks, if you love food and you like taking departures from Supply Chain and all the headaches there from time to time, check out Supply Chain Chow. Uh, on Facebook, Kelly, you you made a mean turkey uh, kind of day after Thanksgiving soup, right? Yeah, I don't cook for Thanksgiving. You're welcome, hmm. everyone. I cook after Thanksgiving. Um, I'm just more likely to eat the leftovers if they're part of something else versus trying to assemble all of those things. But uh, as Trisha, part of Supply Chain Now team, and I, we have bonded right. around our love for peas. The recipe doesn't call for it, but I put extra peas in the soup makes it awesome. Right. <laughs> Love it. Okay. Uh, I'm going to zoom through a couple of these, uh, these other shout outs really quick, and then we're going to get to the news of the day and maybe even talk more peas. <laughs> Kelly, I, I'm glad to hear you're a fellow peas fan. Oh, big time. Uh, growing up. Let's, yeah. Right. Let's, <laughs> <laughs> That's a new t-shirt. Seriously, <laughs> Greg. Kelly is on it. Yes. I thought when she first said, if Greg's the last member. Give peas a was, chance. That's well, it's like yeah. shallow pal, right? Wasn't that the line from that movie? What are you, the last member? <laughs> I don't know, you're on it today. Okay, let's see here. Hello, Helen. Great to see you hey, here Helen. via LinkedIn. She says, great to hear there are no issues with the golf ball supply chain. A fellow Mohib, golfer, that's good to see. <laughs> Mohib, of course, in Wichita, Kansas, the air capital of the world, says, just curious, did anyone have fried turkey for Thanksgiving? I did not. No, uh, but I wonder uh, if AA did. I'm curious, but... Um, I I saw several recipes. Who did I see? Oh, this we usually have it. Sort of nondescript but hilarious PGA golfer Harry Biggs, I think Harry Higgs, something like that, hmm. said his dad fries a tur has fried a turkey twenty six years in a row and has only messed it up once. Wow, so, that's a long time because that's a newer trend. Yeah, that is yeah, definitely and dangerous if you don't do it yeah. the right way. Do not very dangerous. Yeah, we should have done this show before Thanksgiving, but never fry a frozen turkey. No, that is right. That is right. Uh, but great to have you here, Mohib, uh, as well. Ma Michael Aver is back. Wow. I think it's two for two for the last couple of live streams. Yeah. Great to see you. Of course, Amanda is at the helm in the production side. Great to see you here, Amanda. Josh is tuned in. Grateful to be here. Oh, hey, the month of gratitude is still with us. So it great is. to see you here, just barely, Josh. Just barely. Uh, big show Bob Bova is here. His 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 prediction is 27 to 14 UG over Alabama. How about I hope that? he's right. <laughs> that, 
that will be a lot better for everyone's uh, health. Yes, <laughs> Jeff, except except my in-laws uh, who are big time Bam fans. I can give a big shout out to Fred and Val, but their son, my brother-in-law, Brams Ramsey, is a big UGA fan. So it is a certainly a house divided to some extent uh, this weekend. It's still a sport, right? Um, Jeff Leroy, great to see you here via uh, LinkedIn from Hilton Head. Hope this finds you well. David is with us here today. Great to see you. Great to see you. And uh, one last comment here. Back on deep fried turkey, it always gets our attention. Jeff says, it's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Deep fried turkey takes only three minutes per pound to cook versus 20 minutes per pound, I guess, in the in the oven. Yeah. And it's always guarantees a moist turkey. How about that? Yeah, that, that is true. I've had it. I've never cooked it, but I've had it, and it is spectacular. Oh, it is wonderful. Absolutely. Okay, so we have got to jump into the news of the day. Are y'all ready? I just have one more comment. I just want to know sure. if Jeffrey Leroy had fried turkey at Hilton Head, because if that's the case, I'm just a wee bit jealous. <laughs> <laughs> y'all have to get together and fry turkey in Hilton Head. Man. Yeah. Who knows, Greg? Yeah. We'll see what happens. Hey, uh, let's dive into the news of the day, though. We've got so much to get to over the next uh, 15, 20 minutes or so before we welcome in uh, the one and only Constantine Limbarakis with Risk Method. So, tis the season, Greg and Kelly. Tis the season for commerce and lots of it. So, Cyber Mondays today, of course, but Black Friday was a couple days ago. Uh, and here's a few observations on what Black Friday 2021 uh, ended up being uh, here via CNBC. So, foot traffic in retail stores was down about 28.3% mm -hmm. from two years ago. But the good news, Greg and Kelly, traffic was up almost 50% from just last year. Now, what kind of surprised me a little bit, although folks have been kind of um, uh, sprinkling, you know, spreading out their purchasing perhaps, e-commerce volume hit $8.9 billion on Black Friday this year, down just a bit from last, uh, from last year's record of $9 billion. Yeah. So, Greg, I want to start with you. You, you. you published up some really cool perspective, always insightful perspective on LinkedIn earlier on Black Friday. What's your take here? Uh, so I, I think the if you read through this article and other articles uh, like it, I think the data is very confusing. Um, mm. While Black Friday shopping was down 28% from 2019 in stores, it was also down online. And a lot of assertions made in several of these articles that people are spreading out their shopping because a lot of companies, and we, we uh, talked about this back in October, Costco and Target and Walmart and others started with their Black Friday adverts in October. I, didn't ha I haven't really seen any data around that, though, that says that that shopping was up. I see a lot of people saying, we know it was up, but uh, not a lot of data around it. So I wonder how much it was really up. I think overall that, um, that holiday shopping is going to be down. NRF is still predicting something like between 853 and 900 million dollars, 900 billion dollars uh, in it's 900 million. Sorry. In, right. in um, uplift in sales. I'm not sure that we're going to get that. I think if I was mm. NRF, I would want to be optimistic about that. The national retail federation, right? Right. Right. But I don't see any numbers that indicate that it's going to be substantially higher. I think that's about anywhere from eight and a half to around 11% higher. Um, I don't think that uh, I see indicators that that is a given. So. Mm. Good stuff there. Kelly. Well, Greg, you mentioned Target, and this was one of the more interesting details that I thought came out of this story. Not only that Target made the decision not to open on Thanksgiving this year, which you might be able to say, well, short on labor, right? right. They're having to trying to make sure they're fully staffed for Friday, and so you can't give everybody the day off. But they took the added step of announcing that this move is forever. Now, I'm assuming it's forever in air quotes, like business, what's actually forever. But to take right. that additional step to announce that, I didn't totally get the move. I, what is the benefit to them unless they're trying to cover the, for the fact that there's some other short-term reason? 
I just, I never see the sense in trying to project into the future really long term and say, we're never again going to open on Friday. I would love to know the, the thoughts behind the decision to make that pronouncement. Yeah. Excellent point. That's a, uh, that's a pretty typical kind of move by target is to be sort of bold in those, Mm -hmm. in those regards and whatever the topic of the day is. I mean, and this clearly was, and I think people are dead on. Um, I've never liked the fact that retail stores open on Thanksgiving. Yeah. Um, and I, and I, I get that people want the convenience of that, but with e-commerce today, there's really no reason to open the doors on Thanksgiving and force that many more people to work on a holiday. Um, though the pay is quite good, usually double time and a half for hourly folks. But How about that? I, that, that this is a common move. If you go back in time, I know, I know this because I back in the day competed against target have serviced them with technology. And my father worked uh, for target after he left Kmart. If anyone remembers those guys. Um, uh, and, um, and this is a really common theme for them to kind of leap on whatever the the theme of the day is and and announce their altruism around those kind of topics. Do you think it was a play to attract talent? Like, are they trying to sort of get into this story and get the word out there like, oh, well, that must be a good place to work because I'm never, ever going to have to work on Thanksgiving. Is that a play that ties into the Black Friday thing? Or do you think it's just kind of the way they operate and making these bold decisions? I think it's brought for the broader brand equity mm-hmm. brand identity, but uh, maybe it does work for that. I, I mean, I think it would. By the way, I'm not, I'm not uh, poo-pooing their culture. It is a great company to work for target is a great company to work for and 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 that is probably what allows them to be so bold with some of these altruistic endeavors so excellent point uh all right gotta keep moving jeff Leroy says hey come visit hilton head he's gonna provide all the food love that jeff soon enough gene pledger (laughs) gene pledger's tuned in from northern alabama great to see you here today now mike aver speaking to what we're just talking about black friday with everyone encouraging folks to order early due to supply chain issues might have contributed to it being down, he says. And Mike goes on to say, it'll be interesting to see what the entire quarter does as opposed to a snapshot of a few weeks. Great point there. Okay, we have been talking about uh, early Black Friday returns. Of course, today's Cyber Monday. We'll keep an eye on um, a finger on the pulse and see how that plays out here today. So Scott, I'm curious if, if you or Kelly have any personal experience around this. Did you partake in any of this early shopping or online or god forbid actual black friday shopping not in the stores okay but, you know we've been using sites like spousely uh because i, I want to you know i want to get get outside of the big a which get has does not need my dollars right right um that that that, that certainly has helped power uh early season shopping but spousely is a uh, a site dedicated to helping veteran entrepreneurs and military spouse entrepreneurs, first responder entrepreneurs. It's kind of like a um, an Etsy for that community. And it, it, you help support businesses, small businesses that are led by those individuals by visiting. And you can check out spousely.com. But that's where I did some of my early shopping, Kelly. I actually did some also e-commerce, not going to stores, not worth it. Um, but Apple had some great Black Friday stuff that started, I think maybe even Thursday um, and ran all the way through the weekend. And some of it's still happening today. So if if those tech gadgets are on your list, they're doing like Apple gift cards back with certain purchases. So that was definitely the kind of thing that had me checking my list. Love it. And Greg? So uh, I, I actually found myself consciously avoiding Amazon, not for principal reasons necessarily, just that I found what I was looking for at other places. And, you know, one other stat of note is that uh, while Saturday was shop small Saturday, right? Um, big box stores and the top retailers had a 22% higher increase this year over last year than small business does. So get out there and shop with your local That's stores. Right. I'm actually delaying one really important purpose till tomorrow, at least I'm going to try and make it tomorrow at a local shop instead of buying it online. Wonderful. Diversify those dollars, but spend them. Yeah. <laughs> Either way, folks. That's right. 
All right. We're going to switch over to one of our favorite topics to talk about here, right? Manufacturing. We love the manufacturing sector. So Kelly and Greg, in this report from Reuters, the Federal Reserve said last week that manufacturing activity here in the U.S. really surpassed expectations in October. In fact, manufacturing output increased 1.2% last month, which ended up Greg and Kelly being the highest activity on the books since March 2019, since March 2019. But here's some more good news. The automotive industry, right? We've, we've talked a lot about uh, how it's been hampered by the lack of computer chips. Well, they are finding a way. Uh, automotive industry also increased production after two down months uh, in October. Important to note for perspective. I think uh, everyone here and probably everyone listening knows this, but I want to reiterate it. Uh, the manufacturing industry is one of the most critical sectors as it relates to the economy. In fact, here in the States, it accounts for about 12% of the U.S. economy. Okay, yeah. I'm going to flip the script here this time. And Kelly, I'm going to start with you. So talk about this good news here. Oh, see, I was going to mention inflation. That's not good news. <laughs> You know, well, then, hang on. Greg, <laughs> it, is, it is real news. That's for sure. It is well, it is real news. And the connection that I thought they made very well in this particular story that you know, studying the manufacturing capacity as as sort of an indicator about inflation. I mean, no surprise. We're not surprised to hear that inflation is is you know record highs, and they're seeing that match up in terms of uh, available capacity in manufacturing. So, not good news, but interesting. Yes. Greg, uh, I think that that exact point, you know, when you measure manufacturing output based on dollars, you see that the order, the number of orders is actually down, but the price of the orders is significantly up as what, by the way, it was in the last story in retail, the number of orders were down in retail as well, but the prices were up something like 11 point or the, the cost of an order. I, I'm sorry, the value of an order was about 11.3% higher. So I think this is where we're seeing a lot of this. I mean, we are at thirty a thirty year high in terms of of inflation um, here in Atlanta. Kelly, we're luckier than you are. We're at eight. We had eight percent um, inflation rate as opposed to the national average of six point two percent in October. So lucky us. Um, and <laughs> and companies are fully taking advantage of of. Um, arbitraging inflation to add to their margins and produce more at a higher cost. But I have to, okay, I have to flip it back to you, Kelly. Where in yep. the hell are they getting the stuff to build this? I mean, you you being on the procurement end, I don't yeah. know where the goods could be coming from to build some of this stuff. Well, and I think, you know, we're talking about manufacturing generally here, although they did segment out the industrial stuff in that actual piece. Yeah. You know, I think part of it is when we talk about manufacturing and you actually start to break it down, how produced, right, is the segment of manufacturing that you're looking at being able to get a hold of the materials and products that they need to keep the operation rolling. So we're hmm. not necessarily talking about bringing in completely raw materials. We may be talking about three, four steps down the chain where it still technically counts as made in the U.S., although some of the parts or components or assemblies are coming from overseas. I think that probably makes it a little bit easier to get your hands on some of that stuff. So, you know, it's, they did break it out in the article, like you mentioned, Scott automotive is way up and that's offsetting some of the other areas right. that are, that are level or, or maybe even down a little bit. I think if we were to slice and dice it a little bit more, we would find some really interesting things around type of manufacturer around being able to get products. Agreed. Agreed. And, you know, for the first time in ever during Thanksgiving, I rubbed elbows with a few folks that have placed orders for cars. They're waiting for uh, five or six months now, I guess, including Greg. My oldest daughter oh. has been waiting since uh, June for a car. Yeah. Wow. And the, the date keeps moving back that it will come off the production line. It was supposed to be the 26th last I saw, but... Interesting. Yeah, I've been kind of following that. Yes. Obviously. Uh, but I like both of y'all's take there. Hey, kick those headlines hard. Get to the real story. So uh, excellent points there around inflation. Want to um, keep moving here. We've got a great guest we're going to bring in here in about five minutes. Hello, Tom Raftery. Hope this <laughs> finds you and your podcast well. Always looking dapper. Great to see you, Tom. And Mark Preston, uh, dear friend, uh, AME board member, uh, also 
a Georgia Tech alum, <laughs> says crazy year. Hello. <laughs> Halloween items just arrived at Michael's in Peachtree City. Oh my God. Seventy percent off. Now's the time, folks. <laughs> Hold on, I gotta Short- make a call to my wife. <laughs> right. Shortage of cranberry sauce and found out my neighbor has five cans. I am personally ready for college basketball. Great to see you, Mark. Looking forward to reconnecting with you soon. Um, and I'm gonna point this out and and uh Greg and Kelly, uh maybe we can allude to this uh, maybe later. We get this question all the time. Max, great to great to have you here today. He says, I'm kind of new in everything supply chain related. Any courses or certificates anyone can recommend? Cheers from Mexico. Great to have you here via LinkedIn, Max. Hey, folks in the skyboxes, would love to get you all to weigh in on your advice to Max as he's trying yeah. to, to break into and advance uh, uh, in supply chain industry. Okay, we got to keep moving because, Kelly, we have got uh, a really cool story here for our third story. And yeah, I love what American Eagle is doing here. To, to really increase its supply chain wherewithal. So tell us more about this, Kelly. Yeah, this is interesting to me. So they just recently bought this Quiet Logistics. Now, I think most people here are probably familiar with the idea of a 3PL, third-party logistics provider. Quiet Logistics considers themselves 3PF. So it's predominantly digital third-party fulfillment. Huh. And until now, they have positioned themselves as being highly digitally enabled fulfillment for companies on the early end of things that don't already have a lot of infrastructure and need help with this. So American Eagle is a clothing retailer. They own several stores that are probably in most malls, if your mall remains open. Um, And they most recently bought this company, but this is a second purchase. They also bought a shipping consolidator um, some number of months ago. So it's interesting to me because this is a little bit like, you know, vertical, integration, right? Where for so long, things were moving towards third parties. And now some of these companies are starting to pull things in-house. I see this as actually being very similar to, who is it? Walmart, Home Depot, Target, actually, I think was on that list, chartering their own ships to get containers over here in time for the holiday season versus going through sort of third-party ocean freight. You know, when things are uncertain and you want to bring stuff in-house, I think the question will be whether this works longer term, how long they retain ownership of this, if they allow quiet logistics to still have other customers. Um, Right now, it seems like a genius move, but it makes me reflect back to when Delta Airlines bought the trainer refinery. And it looked like, oh, they're hedging their bets against oil costs. And it didn't actually end up working out all that well for them. So, you know, maybe this is a temporary move and they're doing it just to secure their supply chain now and then they'll sell it off down the road or they'll let it continue to serve other people. But I thought this was an interesting move because they are publicly traded, they're S&P 400, but it's not like you see American Eagle and you think, oh yeah, you know, they need to be the new Amazon. So uh, interesting move on their part, I thought. So Greg, I'd like to get your take on American Eagle's (laughs) purchase (laughs) Are we, quiet is, it a secret? is quiet it's quiet logistics oh, <laughs> oh god oh. come on come on so hey all right so greg yeah so tell- this is the company that spawned locus robotics and spun it out so mm-hmm. a lot of people are probably familiar if you've used robotics with locus robotics fairly um well-known uh, fulfillment robotics enterprise so they're now separate companies and what they bought was the 3pl or 3pf uh version uh, or or entity that that remained, uh, but in the article, Kelly, I'm sure you saw this. They allude to an investment that the company has made in yet another robotics uh, technology. Yes. So I'm curious what that is. I have not had a chance to go hit Crunchbase and see who they might have invested yeah. in. And in they're going to have all of these new logistics purchases report up to the same person. So they're truly building a capability center internally around this versus just sort of letting these plug into their organization where they need to. Yeah. And this harkens back to, Scott, you both of you said this and kind of harkens back to the day when companies had their own trucks, yeah. um, although now they're extending it and, you know, and had their own warehouse operations. Um, now they're doing it for fulfillment as well as for store replenishment and that sort of thing. So um, I think we're going to see some more of this. It's kind of a pendulum swing thing. It happens every 20, 30, 40, whatever years in in the industry until companies understand what the cost of that is and what their real wherewithal and skill set is. Frankly, I think 
companies specifically like uh, American Eagle who are so good at merchandising, who are so focused on product, who are really merchant driven, not logistics driven. I think they should stay with 3PL, but the current state of things has people clamoring for stability. Stability will be the word of 2022. We will either find it or we will continue to seek it. But that's what companies are after is stability. We're trying, you saw it trying to create stability and demand among, among consumers. And now right. they're trying to create stability in the supply chain by taking more and more control of it. And if they that can find it, it'll be worth more. paying for. Sorry, say that again. Kelly. If they Sorry. can find that stability, it'll be worth paying for. Great point. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and, uh, and <laughs> so whenever we talk about stability or resilience, we we'll always think about the antonym, uh, fragility, yep. or if you're watching your holiday movies already, fragility, fragility, fragility. <laughs> <laughs> one of our favorites around here. Okay. Uh, so fascinating move, uh, that American Eagles making. We'll keep our finger on the pulse. I love that. I love that thinking out. Yeah. Hey, they're not just thinking outside the box. They're buying the box. Yeah. Right. So it'll be cool to see Many. how this yeah, plays that's out. A good point. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, really quick, I want to recognize Mike says a lot of organizations, especially flush with cash, are vertically integrating full circle strategies from 30 to 40 there years ago are coming back. Yep. Excellent point. What's old is new again. Okay. Amen. It has been a heavy hitting, fast moving first half of the supply chain buzz here today on Supply Chain Now. I want to welcome in Kelly and Greg, a delightful repeat guest. We really enjoyed talking to a week or two ago. I want to welcome in Constantine Limbarakis. Senior Director of Product and Solutions Marketing with Risk Methods. Hey, Constantine, how we doing? Hey, guys, how are you? How are you guys aboard. doing today? Doing wonderful. You know, Kelly and I had a blast with you a couple of weeks back, and all three of us here, including Greg and Amanda and Clay and them, had a wonderful time talking uh, kind of post-Thanksgiving observations earlier this morning. Yes, well, I, I will ditto the point about the peas. I love peas. Oh, peas are awesome. I've always liked you, <laughs> really? Constantine, and that just reinforces everything I've always thought. You know, it's always good to put that into a minestrone or something, but I will also tell you, I did not buy my peas at Target because it was closed on Thanksgiving. Oh. And I really liked that. I think that's a smart yeah. move. I, I think my view on that is that I think that's the tonality of what's gone on with places like Chick-fil-A, right? Yeah. There's this kind of movement towards we're going to make a decision. This is what we think is right. And whether it's an economic factor or social factor. And those are some of the things I think that might be uh, the reasons why they're doing it. To your point, Greg, you know, they got a brand and people want to trust their brands that they're going to. I sure am glad you brought that up. That second point as you came online here, because when you first said peas, I'm like, gosh, we went through 30 minutes of conversation and his favorite <laughs> Part of it was peas. around peas. Yeah. Hey, I'm kidding aside, kidding aside, a great point about Target. Yeah. Uh, you, we're seeing a lot of companies being much more intentional uh, about their culture uh, and, and how they can leverage it, frankly, um, out in the market uh, with consumers and potential employees alike. So I want to, um, here, I want to get one comment hit, hit in here. Uh, Zuka, great to see you back here. And we're hoping to have you back on a live stream. Greg, Kelly, and Constantine, she knocked it out of the park uh, when Zuka joined me and Kelly, uh, Jenny Froome, not too long ago. Maybe, Greg, you may have been oh, with yeah. us as well. Yeah. She says, I think that the strategies of the past are now more than relevant for future survival. Okay, quite a t-shirtism there. Thanks for sharing. And uh, stick around. We'd love to get your take, Zuka and Michael and Tom. And Josh, you name it, on what we're going to talk about here with Constantine, including wine. And by the way, Tom says, "Peas for the win." Uh, for the oh, for the win. New acronym for me. Okay, <laughs> I feel a little bit cooler now. Thank you, Tom <laughs> and Greg. I, okay. You'll find this astounding, Scott. I don't feel particularly one way or another about peas. When they're present, I enjoy them. I don't, I don't hate or love them. One of the few don't. things on the planet that I have no opinion. <laughs> Don't put them in chicken salad. Don't put them in potato salad. I like them by themselves. Heat it up right out of the Lasur can. That's what about risotto? 
peas and risotto. Oh yeah, most definitely. That goes. See, they'd okay. be missing if they weren't there. Greg, you, do you want to retract that statement about being ambivalent <laughs> well, on peas? I still don't feel that strongly, but definitely we'll in that It's dish. a work in progress. Yeah, yeah thank you. You're well, <laughs> always you're going to eat. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, ABC. Working for the pea commission. <laughs> so if you don't like peas, hey, uh, you can always. We love you uh, also. Everything goes a little better. <laughs> That's right. Everything goes a little bit better with uh, some wine. And Constantine, that, that's what we're going to start with you here today. I want to dive into a very critical global supply chain. That is the wine supply chain. Now, CNBC is reporting, Constantine, that one wines in particular uh, supply chain is maybe, maybe disrupted. So tell us more about this, Constantine. Yeah. Uh, so, Scott, I, I came across this article over... Uh, you know, the kind of this Thanksgiving mood, you're thinking about wine. And, you know, this Beaujolais Nouveau is this wine that comes out of a particular region in France. It's this, it's this wine that has a season. It comes out in November. And I was just reading this article and I thought, you know, it's interesting take because wine is this like regional thing, right? So you can't manufacture and say, oh, I want to re- shore wine and put it somewhere else right <laughs> it, that's like wine comes from a region right that's where i know it's from whether i'm drinking my cabernet from california or from chile or beaujolais from france because that's where it comes from and i thought well this is interesting so for the people that are these enophiles that have their certain tastes they got to get it they got to go to the store well what happened in the article is very interesting is that you see all these dynamics of how one you know product that you think is kind of a luxury thing is going to be completely disrupted because the climate had a huge impact on the crop this year. And if you go through the article, you can read that the distribution cost went up. The, they had labor shortages in trying to get it distributed here. Uh, there were some disruptions that happened where trucks weren't getting the wine to the right place. Right. The cost of freight was like three times the cost. And they're saying that in order for them to sell the wine, they had to like eat the cost because they had already promised a certain price. And then getting that then to the store was a big delay. And so I think, you know, some of the challenges here is because of climate, what's changing in these flavors, what's happening with this distribution, you know, if things keep changing, um, you know, even in places like California, where they're concerned about the fires having a huge impact too, in 10 years, what will people be drinking things differently? We'll have different tastes. And that becomes, a, you know, something that may not be uh, critical or essential, but the way we think about food is completely changing. And these supply chains are, are, are part of the, the challenge here of combined with the climate and the costs. How, how do we, you know, how do we deal with these challenges and how do people uh, respond to those? Because people might be looking for the Beaujolais on the shelf and they might have to go to something else and replace it. And they'll say, well, where do I go to get that? What am I willing to pay to get something? Because uh, it's not at the place I'm t typically going to. Right. So we're talking about one supply chain, in particular, one supply chain for Beaujolais New, uh, now, uh, Nouveau. 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 Thank you very much. <laughs> Sometimes things just stick right there between. Uh, <laughs> the, um, but we're talking about wine supply chain. And I want to bring in a couple quick comments before Greg and Kelly responds to what Constantine says. I would just add in, Constantine said, said how folks are responding, but I bet Constantine has an opinion about how folks are proactively preparing. But we'll circle back to that maybe perhaps a little later. Um, let's see here. Tom says, I'm Irish, so wine is meh. Uh, let's see here. Now, if there's an issue with beer, as he says, that'd be a whole other story. Max agrees with him. Yep. He says, as a Mexican, I strongly agree beer is much better uh, than wine. Okay. Especially so now in that Mexico. We are, I mean, right. I love Mexican beer. Agreed. It's the, the best. Outstanding at it. Yeah. Um, all right. So, Greg, since you're responding and get, making us all want a beer now, Let's start with you. Talk to what Constantine shared about this article. Uh, that's one particular one may be uh, threatened. What's your take here? Well, I think uh, there were some. There were three specific tragedies in in the supply chain here. A truck turned over, e even with the even with the shortage. A truck turned over, and therefore Arkansas, Western Tennessee, and West Virginia did not get any. Beaujolais Nouveau from this particular this particular importer. So I wonder what they drank. Moonshine. Um, <laughs> uh, 
Yes, that would make you know one they've got the backstop for it in that part of the country. So that's right. Um, but no, I think I think we can expect to see this with a lot of things. We talked about this just in the last week or two that uh, um, we can expect some serious shortage shortages among fruits and vegetables. Uh, just another fruit, right? That creates wine. It just happens to be a very very tasty fruit. Uh, and and I experienced firsthand, I think, though no words were, were exchanged as we talked about pre-show, but my father always brings a couple of bottles of Beaujolais Nouveau, um, or Beaujolais as he likes to call it. Um, but this year he didn't show up with those. And I'm curious if that had anything to do with availability. So I'll have to ask him after what he bring? the show. Um, I think he bought a, brought a Bordeaux and a Cabernet. So nice. nice. So, uh, w- so regardless, it may not have been the Beaujolais or the Boozolet, Boozolet <laughs> as he says, but he brought the lubricant as we established pre-show. Indeed. Okay. <laughs> Kelly Barner, your take on the wine supply chain. Obviously a huge tragedy. I mean, maybe not moment of silence tragedy, <laughs> but like really, really close, especially if you live in one of those areas where the truck tipped over and you're not going to get it. Yeah. I actually, one of the things that occurred to me in reading this story is that it's been very exciting for all of us as supply chains have hit the front page of papers and, you know, been above the fold on everything, whether it's hard copy or, or digital. I do think there's a nuance missing to some of what's being reported that we have an ability to filter through, but that the casual reader might not. And in some cases, I actually end up feeling bad for consumers. Right? There were massive turkey panics in advance of Thanksgiving. And I will admit, I had to go buy butter at 6 p.m. the evening before Thanksgiving. The container of turkeys still in the store was massive. And so I at least appreciated Mm. in this story, they were very specific about the region where there weren't going to be turkeys, right? But I think in the excitement of keeping supply chains above the fold and everybody, oh, the supply chain crisis, and they get to run the graphic Mm -hmm. and it's so exciting and morbid. I don't know. I mean, it from the sounds of this, it wasn't great for maybe producers or distributors. Not sure where that actually that hit got taken, but we know it wasn't retailers. And so in this case, unless you live in this three state region where the truck tipped over, you got it and you paid the same amount for it. And so I think if we approach these things with too broad of a brush, people are going to a start to doubt the news because they're going to be like, I don't know, there were cases. They have like a big stack. I can have I can choose from three different kinds if I want. Right. And so it's it's really digging in to understand just because I'm paying the exact same amount for it doesn't mean that somewhere in the supply chain, somebody didn't take a hit that might yeah. actually affect their ability to produce in the future or their ability to be profitable and keep people employed. But unless you come to a story like this with the perspective that the four of us and everybody that's in the skyboxes has, I think it has a tendency to fuel a panic that causes people to maybe make decisions based on emotional reasons when they, you know, they don't need to be done. So I thought they did a good job, but I would also be willing to bet that we read this story a little bit differently than a casual reader might read it and, and, you know, either fuel a panic or cause people to buy something they weren't even necessarily going to buy because this, there's this perception of scarcity. So I do think we always have to keep in the back of our minds, the coverage and the perspective in the news yeah. around supply chains when it's not meant for people that are managing supply chains, maybe the takeaways end up being a little bit different if we can be more thoughtful about it. Context, 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 and the right lens. Okay. So Greg and Kelly laid a lot out there, Constantine. Anything you want to respond to or pick up on before we talk about some of the things that's going on at risk methods? Absolutely. Uh, I think I think the bigger context here um, is also the not only the distribution of it, but also the context of the change itself that it caused a shortage of the product, which is the climate. And that was a really interesting aspect in another follow-up article. They talked about California. Mm-hmm. And they're talking about how all these fires are changing the climate and that you might also see a change in there where there might be some challenges of even having these types of products into the future. So um, so all these dynamics, I think it kind of goes back to us and kind of what we're foundational at is understanding the risks, mm-hmm. right? Where are these things coming from? What's the basis of it? You know, there's five different types of risks that we saw here. There's this climate change. You saw distribution risk. You see labor shortage risk. You see the cost of freight. So all those things kind of what brought it together for me to think, well, how, how would I know about all these things and how would I be able to better understand 
how to manage that. If that's something I'm depending on as a core product to what I'm selling as a retailer, uh, as a distributor, that kind of thing. And uh, it's not just the wine. Uh, you, you might see that with the, uh, you know, trying to get it the other way, trying to get the bourbon out to Europe where there's challenges there. I heard something the other day about uh, there might be some challenges in the costs and finding a, a replaceable product. And then that has all the after effects of the jobs and production and everything else. So I just thought it was an interesting thing we could all relate to, but knowing Excellent. what are all the points that come out of that. Yeah, I, I want to share just a couple uh, one quick comment here from Rosie. And Rosie, great to see you here today. I uh, really have enjoyed your great uh, work and perspective. She says climate changes have wrecked similar havoc on commercial fishing. Excellent point there. Really quick point. I'm going to go to you, Greg is uh, one of the issue this brings to my mind is um, uh, truth, truth, accuracy, preventing uh, imposters. And, and there's a, there's a phrase and a word I'm, I'm counterfeiting, right? Counterfeiting. Mm. We've alluded to how um, wine, especially French wine and other, other wines have to be from a certain right. part of the world, right? Well, if we don't ensure that global visibility into our supply chains and take other measures that prevent counterfeit uh, counterfeit products coming into and being sold mis misrepresented, you know, which happens all the time, especially in other industries like apparel and, and others, that's going to be a big deal, especially one moving forward as more and more bad actors are looking to take advantage and make a buck, maybe not even a quick buck. Greg, your thoughts? Well, I think, um, you know, one of the things we have to acknowledge is there is a lot of hyperbole in reporting. And now that we're at the top, as as Kelly so eloquently said, above the fold, yeah. we're going to see a lot of hyperbole. We got to yeah. remember, as part of the digital media, that traditional media is dying and they have to get reads and they have to get visibility in order to sell adver advertising. So we're going to continue to see that. We just need to expect it. And like Kelly said, discern through it and through entities like Supply Chain Now and others present what is real or or it is based on either hyperbole or lack of knowledge instead of actual knowledge and kind of help people wade through that at the same time you mentioned bourbon and somehow i feel like tom raftery and i are 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 of one mind here and that is when this starts to impact whiskey that's when i will really <laughs> really really be concerned but we'll i think the, the other hyperbole. point What's that? You will bring the hyperbole. Yeah, that's right. I said really three times. There I went. Um, but I think the other thing that's really fascinating here is now we are talking about not just raw materials. We're talking about we're talking about natural goods, right? We're talking mm. about plants here, something that we can have absolutely no impact over. We can't make grapes grow faster, any faster than we already do, right? We can't make stuff grow when the conditions aren't right, like a fire in California, right? It takes time to do that. We've experienced that over the years, but now we're experiencing it on a, on a global scale. And I think that is going to create a reckoning in people's minds as we run out of things like whiskey, God forbid, uh, <laughs> tomatoes and, and, you know, those things that are, that are top of mind. Uh, and I'm not right. saying that we will, but the threat is definitely there that at least for this season, because of weather, as we've talked about early and constant frost in, in, um, in France really impacted the Beaujolais Nouveau crop though, as one final bit of good news, Right at the end of the article, they do say yes. that it was a spectacular vintage. Yes. That, that which Wonderful. made it through was really, really good. Which so. ironically, between what everybody knows about supply chain shortages and the fact that it's a once a year luxury and the fact that it's better quality, they could have actually gotten away with passing some of those costs along to the consumer so that the distributor or, or you know, producer didn't get hurt. Yep. Excellent point. Okay. So... And and let's let's put one final piece of good good news, maybe real news. Hey, here in the states, we got plenty of choices, right? Pl um, enough, as I've heard uh, an old Buddhist proverb, enough is a bounty. I think I've got that close right. to being right. So, if we've got a, a, just a few less choices, hey, embrace it. We're going to get through. Uh, but I think one of the big common themes of the buzz here today, as as Greg and Kelly and Constantine have all spoken to is you got to kick those headlines hard and get to the real story. Okay. And as Josh says, once whiskey is that. disrupted, <laughs> the end is nigh. Tom Amen. says, uh, buy Californian wine now and put it away. It'll be worth a fortune when climate change 
means California can no longer produce wine. Tom, good point. Good point. Rosie, hey, we appreciate that. We appreciate uh, our work together, and great to have you here on the bus. Okay, Constantine, we have talked a lot since uh, your last point. Let's make sure. So risk methods, what are y'all up to? What's the latest news there? What's going on? Well, uh, real excited. I think I think I'm going to call December the month coming up at the uh, the month of webinars. We got a lot of stuff that we're we're rolling out. Um, I'm excited to be a part of a few of them. One of them uh, I call this uh, 10 essential steps for improving supply chain resilience. But we've got topics that are all over the map. Uh, we're doing. We're going to talk about. Uh, ESG and uh, environmental, social, and governance. Working with one of our partners, Jager, uh, on that topic. Uh, I'm doing the webinars. I said with uh, this guy Brian Stanton, who um, who wrote a book called uh, "Supply Chain Risk Management for Dummies." Yes. And, uh, you know, so there's a lot of good uh, 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 Daniel Stanton. I'm sorry, I got Daniel, Mr. Mr. Daniel, supply Daniel. Chain. Supply, Mr. Supply Chain. So we're going to be doing one together. And then, uh, yeah, like I said, there's a lot of topics that are just excited to share at the end of the year and hope uh, you guys could join us for a few of them. Definitely. And and so riskmethods.net, folks, y'all uh, bookmark that one. I'm sure you can sign up for uh, and engage with the team there, riskmethods.net. I want to circle back. Uh, but Kelly, it has been, it is a web, it's a webinar weary time, but this is critical information as we've seen in our own webinars, yeah. Greg, you know, when you're yeah. providing, um, you know, our last webinar, one of our last web webinars with our friends at UPS talking about supply chain squeeze, we had folks from Crocs and uh, Sunjoy. And when you're offering up perspective of how to success, successfully navigate through these ever present challenging in, um, uh, sets of circumstances, folks turn out in droves, webinar weariness or not. So Kelly, your take, and I'll get uh, Greg's, and then we're going to make sure folks know how to connect with Constantine. Well, my take, especially around the webinars, is that given what I mentioned about the news, right, there's not necessarily news where say, oh, this is just for consumption by supply chain professionals. And so in my mind, the more time we can spend getting sage advice from folks like Constantine, we had Bill DiMartino on with us on Dial P, obviously Daniel Stanton, uh, people that are actually steeped in it and then have a little bit of seriousness about the way they approach it, they have firsthand knowledge. I actually think that's good for calibration as much as it is for information. So hmm. I would say if you have the opportunity, things are starting to slow down a little bit. December, there's less meetings and things going on. Put one or two of those in your calendar because I think it's going to have a good way of bringing everything back down to reality. It's going to get hotter before it gets cooler around supply chain news. So keeping a level head may actually do more to affect our individual job performance than even staying top of all the latest stories. So I would say find one of those and attend it. Nice. As Chris Barnes always likes to say, always be learning, ABL. Uh, Greg, Kelly just shared a mouthful there. What else would you add? I think it's time for us as a practice, as a craft, to recognize that this is not a cost-saving exercise. This is a risk-balancing exercise, cost being, and I say this all the time, cost being just one of those risks, but things like ESG and and truly uh, brand equity being the driving factors of supply chain. And I think companies are and professionals are starting to really realize that. I mean, the companies that are manifesting as the top of the market are those who have great supply chains. And, uh, and I think that that's something that practitioners and those who casually observe or interact with supply chain professionals are recognizing, which is why I think I don't know that there is a weariness with webinars. I think what we're seeing, because we're seeing record, I mean, record attendance of these webinars. I think what we're seeing is comp is people from adjacent departments of the company getting interested in going, what yeah. the hell is this, is this supply chain thing about? I have one request, Constantine, if you can do this. Can you give us just <laughs> one teaser of the 10 things you need to do? Ooh, it's a good question. Ooh. Well, hey, why are you thinking? Know. Well, yeah. <laughs> okay, so you got to wait. All right, you got to wait. wait. That being the case, when, when again is this webinar? Because we better. December, December 14th, okay, 2 right? p.m. Eastern time. There you go. So, you know, it's just at that cost before everyone's going to just shut down. Yep. So, you know, it's that, you know, it's a good day. So It is a good day. My father's and birthday, hey. I'll try to get him to watch. As a gift. <laughs> 10 essential steps for improving supply chain resilience in 2022. Risk methods. 
uh, Daniel Stanton, Mr. Supply Chain. And going back, bringing it full circle, uh, we were asked by Max, I believe, earlier, and, and a book is not a certification or degree, but you know, Supply Chain for Dummies is a nice, well-rounded um, uh, publication that will help give you that context that Greg and Kelly and Constantine were all talking about. And it'll help you connect the dots and then perhaps help you identify which direction to move. So, uh, a great resource to have. So check it out uh, wherever you get your books from. Um, okay. So riskmethods.net. But Constantine, uh, how else can folks connect with the one and only Constantine Limbarakis? <laughs> well, you could always just reach out to me, email, snail mail, constantine.limbarakis at riskmethods.net. Uh, Twitter handle at climbarakis. And then on LinkedIn. Uh, always happy to have a conversation, talk, share ideas. So thank you for uh, for, for allowing me to do that, Scott. You bet. Uh, and by the way, in the corrections department, as our team likes to <laughs> ensure, uh, enough, the quote that was butchered a minute ago, enough is a feast, not a bounty. Enough is a feast. Thanks so much. I love that uh, perspective and that quote. Uh, folks, connect with Constantine Limbarakis. Uh, we've really enjoyed a couple of appearances here. Uh, Y'all check out the December 9th webinar here at Supply Chain Now with our friends at TransPlace and Corinne Bursa, who hosts Tech Talk, Digital Supply Chain Podcast. And then you can check out December 14th with the Risk Methods uh, team. Okay, uh, final question for you, Greg, and you, Kelly. Greg, you've been taking a bit of a sabbatical. You've had had a busy here year-end with Tequila Sunrise, but we got a ton of concepts uh, filtering their way through the skunk skunk works lab. Yeah. But how can folks connect with you and, and what are you up to these days? Yeah. Always on LinkedIn um, or Greg at supply chain. Now, if you, if you want to reach out to me and um, through the end of the year, uh, I guess I'm going to be waiting on a vehicle to be delivered. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, you know, just kind of uh, exploring some way to tackle risk in the supply chain, how to get in front of it. And, you know, it's encouraging to see uh, what Constantine and his company is enabling in terms of doing that, because what we've found is waiting until the disruption happens is the is a, a, a recipe for disaster. We have to identify the likelihood that a risk will happen and get in front of that. And the companies that are doing that, and there are companies that are doing that, are far more successful. And I see a huge opportunity for companies to start to get in front of these disruptions and crises that impact or could impact supply chain and to recognize things that they have never really considered before, like government intervention and things like that, that right. really should be considered. So I've got eyes on that and contemplating how to improve the global supply chain's ability to tackle those kind of issues. So, Constantine, we may be talking pretty soon. Awesome. <laughs> hey, I love that. We love being the connector here at Supply Chain Now, as always. Hey, really quick before I go to Kelly uh, Alaka, great to have you here via LinkedIn from Nigeria. So uh, great to have you be part of the conversation. Kavan says supply chain resilience, 100%. Mm-hmm. Folks, I want to challenge y'all a little something. Uh, if y'all remember when super became the word of the day, once you started kind of listening for that, you hear it a thousand times a day. Well, now... Uh, which I first noticed it with Jeff Francoeur, one of our Braves broadcasters who uses the phrase 100% all the time. Yeah. Start listening for that. Uh, you'll hear it a thousand times a day as well. But Kavan, great to have you here as always. Hey, Max, check out the book. And if you drop us a note, I'll send you a copy. Shoot us a note. Uh, hit, hit us up at amanda at supplychainnow.com. Kelly Lynn, great point. So Kelly Lynn, uh, Greg and Kelly, you might remember, Ward, Richmond, and I interviewed the, the one and only truly uh, Kelly Lynn uh, McLaughlin, I think I've got that right. And if I didn't, Kelly Lynn, please don't 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 break my leg. But she says, "How about take especially good care of your drivers? Give them a reason to work hard for you." And Kelly Lynn knows because she's been driving, I think, for eleven years, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So great to have you here, uh, Kelly Lynn. Okay, uh, Kelly Barner. Let's talk about Dial P and Buyer's Meeting Point. How can folks connect with you? Yeah, absolutely. We're getting ready to wrap up a full year of Dial P, which is so exciting. I can't believe how fast that went by, but we've had a great year. Um, There's still plenty going on at Buyer's Meeting Point over the next few weeks. We don't really even start to think about shutting down until about a week before Christmas. But I will say, please do connect with me on LinkedIn. 
I actually have some very exciting news coming, like very, very exciting news coming. And it's a secret. So <sighs> follow me on LinkedIn if you want to find out what it is. And no, my secret is not one of Constantine's 10 things. I'm not hiding that from Constantine. <laughs> you knew where I was going next. <laughs> <laughs> but connect with me on LinkedIn. That news might even break this week. So Ooh. if we're not already connected, connect with me because I will be sharing some very good news very shortly. I love it. I love it. Okay. Well, uh, we love good news around here. We also love real uh, conversations, authentic conversations, where folks hopefully walk away informed, but also entertained. Uh, big thanks to Constantine Limbarakis and Risk Methods for joining us here today. Be sure to uh, connect with him, but also check out riskmethods.net. You're not going to want to miss that December 14th session with our friend Daniel Stanton. Big thanks to Greg White, as always, and Kelly Barner, the one and only. Congrats on your first full season, our first full season of Dial P for Procurement. Uh, folks, as Kelly Lynn said earlier, take care of your drivers. And kind of an extension on that, just be mindful. The, the experiences we have, and I think the four of us had wonderful Thanksgivings, well, just around the corner in your own neighborhood, you got folks working hard, uh, fighting through seen and unforeseen challenges. And keeping that perspective here year-end, I think is really important. So on that note, folks, challenging you like we challenge our team every day. Do good, give forward, be the change that is needed. And we'll see you next time right back here at Supply Chain Now. Thanks, bye. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. <laughs>